I have begun our study in Romans chapter 15 over the last couple of weeks in perhaps what could be construed as a negative tone. What I mean by that is this. Romans chapter 14 is a classic passage of Scripture on exercising our privileges, our rights, our freedoms as Christians. In Romans chapter 16, the apostle is closing out this letter to a group of believers, and he's using personal names, and he's talking about assets and ministry, and it's a pretty awesome study. And Romans chapter 15 falls right in between. And I call passages like this flyover scripture, in the sense that we oftentimes fly over it and we're all around it, but we're not really in it. But what I have found is there is great value, in fact, it's vital for us to get into passages of Scripture just like this to help us in our journey in life and on our sanctification and in our maturing process. And so I want to go here in Romans chapter 15, and I'll begin reading in verse 14 where we were last week. If you don't have your Bible, those verses will be available here on the screen. And I want you to know this is God's Word. And I myself, Paul is writing, also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now let me just set the table. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers who are in the midst of an unbelievably pagan society. Morals do not really exist in the city of Rome. Every one of these believers who is pursuing Jesus Christ is standing against persecution, standing against the culture, and standing out in an incredible way. And so as the Apostle Paul is writing to them, he assesses them based on their testimony. He's never attended this church, he has not pastored this church, he did not found this church, but he has heard of their faith. And here is how he assesses them. I know that you are full of goodness, and we studied that term last week. Meaning that when life squeezes them like a sponge, Goodness gushes out of them. A fruit of the Spirit is evident in their life as they are squeezed by the circumstances they endure. He also says, I know that you are filled with all knowledge. He is praising them. He is not saying that you are know-it-alls. He is saying you are hearing the Word and you are doing the Word. And I know that you are equipped with everything that you need to succeed spiritually speaking. And you can admonish one another. He is praising this group of believers. He is saying you are doing a good job in the midst of a sin-darkened city. You are having an impact for Jesus Christ. And we would assume that upon reading that, he would have nothing but praise to heap upon them. But I want you to notice the very first word of verse 15. Nevertheless. Nevertheless means, in spite of all of this, I yet must do this. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost." Now, as we've studied this passage, here is what I have been trying to communicate. We must be wholehearted. Apathy is our default setting. 
We can become sedentary. We can become apathetic. The reality is we can become robotic in our service for the Lord and in our church attendance. We are prone to grow weary in well-doing. But the only way to succeed, spiritually speaking, is to be wholehearted. Wholehearted in our pursuit of holiness and wholehearted in our passion for the cause of Jesus Christ. If we are not wholehearted in those two ways, we are becoming apathetic, we are becoming robotic, we are becoming sedentary, and in that we grow discouraged, we grow fatigued, we grow exhausted. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul is communicated, I have maintained a wholehearted pursuit for holiness and a wholehearted passion for the cause of Christ, and I want you to do the same. And so he began by encouraging us to look at the example of Jesus Christ. He encouraged us in verse 14, look at the example of the believers in Rome who are in the midst of a sin-darkened and pagan polytheistic culture, and yet they are filled with goodness filled with knowledge and admonishing one another. Be encouraged by their example. And now he is going to come back and say, I want you to not only be encouraged by external things, I want you to understand some things that you can, in effect, tell yourself so that you can be wholehearted. And that's verses 15 and 16. Did you note those words in the middle of the 15th verse? Because of the grace. Because of grace. That is a key phrase for the Apostle Paul. It's a key phrase for every aspect of Paul's life. It's one of his secrets for being wholehearted. He was aware constantly of the grace of God. If you bumped into the Apostle Paul, not only would goodness come out, if you bumped into the Apostle Paul, grace would come out. He is the Apostle of grace because he was always and ever enamored with the grace of God and being saved. When he shared his own testimony, here's what he said of himself. In Philippians, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. That means he was abiding by the rules. I am of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. And it sounds braggadocious. It is not arrogance. He is stating facts. He'll go on and he'll write this concerning zeal. If you want to ask me how zealous was I, I persecuted the church. That's how zealous I was to please God. That's how zealous I was for the things of the law. I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Can you fathom that he is not speaking in hyperbolic terms? He is stating the truth about himself. I went about trying desperately to make God happy. I wanted to be so zealous for God that I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ thinking I was pleasing God. As touching, pertaining unto the things which are written in the law, all of the rules, all of the codes of conduct, which were incredibly heavy to abide by, I was actually blameless in my perfect execution of every one of them. He is telling the truth about himself. And then he says this, But what things were gained to me, all of those things which once were viewed as an asset, those I counted loss for Christ. He is aware of the fact that the grace of God saved him from sin. On the road to Damascus, he saw that bright light. He spoke with the Lord. He gained physical blindness for a few days, but spiritual sight. He was saved and he was always enamored with the grace of God 
gifted to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that we are prone to apathy because the longer that we're good at life and better than the sin-darkened world around us and even performing better than those that we might be in here with, we feel like we're not as enamored with the grace of God as we once were. Can I tell you something about yourself? And this is something you're going to want to hear. You are a wretched, no good, vile, wicked person without Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said of himself, In me dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing redeeming about me, which is why I need a redeemer. And the Apostle Paul is saying, even though I had attained all of these things in life, I never get over the grace of God in saving me. And then he says something very important, and we'll circle back to this in a moment. He was writing to Timothy, and he was saying to Timothy, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He says to him, I know that I am saved because of God's grace, and I am called because God is gracious to me. And in this, he is beginning to set the tone. He is communicating something that we need to hear if we are not going to be sedentary and apathetic, but rather we are going to be wholehearted in our pursuit of holiness and our passion for the cause of Christ. He is wanting us to be reminded of some things. He says, let me share with you a necessary reminder. Did you note that he he said in there, I want to put you in mind. I want to remind you of something. Now, I have to circle back. Because this is not a bad group of people who need to be told what to do. He has already said, I have heard of your faith. That's what he says in chapter 1. The the testimony of your faith has gone around the world. People are amazed at how good you are at Christianity. Good by you. And now he's coming to them and he said, look, I know when life squeezes you, goodness comes out, you have all knowledge. You're admonishing and exhorting and edifying one another. Good job. Nevertheless, I am being bold with you because I have to put you in mind of some things. The book of Romans is an incredible doctrinal book. And we might think to ourselves, isn't it silly that the Apostle Paul would write a theological treatise about salvation to a group of people that he assesses as being filled with all knowledge? Why would he go back and rehearse basic doctrine about salvation in a group of people that he deemed to be full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another? Because he knows something about the human condition. We need to be reminded. In fact, in the New Testament, ten times putting in mind or being reminded is used. That phrase is used. All ten of them are speaking to a church. That's us. A church. Being put in a place where no matter what we have accomplished or what level we have attained, we need to be reminded of the basic truths because we tend to forget. Peter, as a matter of fact, in his epistles, his letters, is writing to a group of people who are elite level Christians. These are Christians who are living in a world, much like these believers, under the domination of Rome. Under the leadership of Nero, they are being persecuted. He knows they are suffering. He calls them strangers and pilgrims. This is a group of people as well that are standing for Jesus Christ against all odds. And here's what Peter writes to them in 2 Peter 1.12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things. And get the next phrase. Though ye know them. I'm not going to be negligent, Peter says, to put you in remembrance of these things, even though you already know them. Why? Because I want you to be established in the present truth. In 2 Peter, he comes back and he writes this. This second epistle, this second letter, I have written unto you, beloved, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Peter writing to a group of stellar Christians, elite level Christians, who were good at doing Christian stuff. They spoke Christianese and they knew how to go to church. They knew it all and they checked every box and he said, I'm not going to be negligent to help you to remember these things. Even though you already know them, I must rehearse them to you. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the believers at Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, But for you, do you see those words? It is safe. I know I'm writing to you about the same things that I told you when I was there. I know that I am rehearsing to you things that you have heard before, but it is safe for you. I will not be negligent in this. You and I must be reminded of the grace of God. Now, you know what this is? This is my treatise in defense of boring, repetitive preaching. That's what it is. When you preach to the same people 52 weeks a year, three times a week, over the course of a lifetime, you are challenged to be new, innovative, and creative because it is your responsibility to communicate the Word of God in such a way so that people want to come back next week and learn more. And every now and again, you drop hmm, a bomb of a sermon, you flop. You ever done that? You ever preached a sermon that just didn't hit? You ever looked at people that are looking at you like you're looking at me right now and you think maybe this one right here is that one sermon. Maybe this is the one. Here's what Peter and here's what Paul are communicating to us. I know that you know this, but you must hear this again. You get on a flight and and before you taxi, they start and you're thinking to yourself, I know how the seatbelt works. I know that my seat cushion is a flotation device. Please Don't make me use it ever. I get it. I know this. I know what the no smoking thing means. Has anyone smoked on a plane since the 70s? Do we need to hear this again? Do you have to tell us the same thing? It's necessary. And maybe there's somebody who's on there for the very first time who can't figure the seatbelt out. And who needs to be reminded of what the lights mean and what the noises are. And they're honestly listening, thinking, i got to slip my arms around this seat cushion. If we go down here into Lake Norman, Lake Wiley, the Catawba, I mean, the Hudson River is an actual thing. Here's what Peter and Paul are saying. I know that you feel like you know it. And we are prone to robotic church attendance because of that. And apathy and a sedentary status. Not continuing to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've heard it all before. It is necessary for us to reminisce about the grace of God and to be reminded of these doctrinal truths. Paul spent three years with the church at Ephesus. And as he was leaving them, he communicates to them his final words. And he says this to the elders that are there. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He was writing to Timothy. 
Timothy is struggling in ministry, and he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He is writing to Timothy, and in first, or 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. One of the key integers in being wholehearted in our spiritual pursuit is to remember. One of the best ways for us to mitigate a sedentary life, spiritually speaking, is to remember the grace of God that saved us and to rehearse these doctrines over and again. Have you ever stopped to consider the two ordinances that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church? One, baptism by immersion. Secondarily, he said the observance of the Lord's Supper. And when Jesus communicated that to the church, here's what Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 11. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed in the upper room, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And that phrase, which we're all familiar with, this do in remembrance of me. And he took the cup after that, and he gave it to them, and he said, as oft as ye drink this, this do in remembrance of me. He is aware of the human condition. He is aware that we need to rehearse and be reminded of his grace, and we need to go over the doctrine again and again. And one of the ordinances that we observe as a church is to go back to the cross again and again and again and again because we are prone to wander, we are prone to weakness, we are prone to fatigue, and it is necessitated that we remember these things. I love what one author wrote. It's so simple. Seven things Christians should tell themselves every day. God is my Father. Christ is my Savior. Heaven is my home. Scripture is my guide. Every believer, even the irritating ones, is my family. The gospel is my message. God's glory is my goal. You say, everything that you just said is the most basic, fundamental, foundational thing you could communicate to a believer. Exactly. And if we are reminded of these foundational truths, we are motivated to wholeheartedness because of the grace of God. Now, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul is going to say something as we get into the second part of verse 16. He says that I should be, he's spoken about the grace of the Lord that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Because of grace, he says, I am a minister of the gospel. Because of the grace of God, I have a mission that has been given to me. In fact, as he is, is, is on the road to Damascus, here's what Ananias is told of him. The Lord said, Paul is a chosen vessel unto me. Paul does not say... Because I'm really articulate and eloquent, I have been gifted the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of my incredibly affable personality and my likability rating, I am the chief instrument of the gospel to the Gentiles. Because of my charisma, because of my education, because of what I did in my attainment of the things of the law, here's what he says, I have a mission Because God graciously assigned this mission to me. One commentator said this, Paul is announcing that he views himself as so gripped 
by grace that he is willing to pour out all that he owns and all that he is for the sake of Christ. No matter what the cost, no matter how much time it demanded, he was willing to sacrifice everything to win the race, to pass on the torch, to equip the ship and fight the good fight of faith, to train the church, to sing praise to God. It did not matter to him if it cost him his life. It was not to promote himself, it was to promote the gospel. This is a reset button that we can smash when robotic service and apathy and a sedentary status creep in. I have been given a mission to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to a sinful world. And I have been given that because God is gracious to me. So when it costs me a few hours, or it costs me a few bucks, or it costs me a few friends, or a few awkward moments, I am aware that God has graciously given this responsibility to me, and I'm not counting the cost Because of what God has done for me. And I want you to notice the second part of verse 16. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That is Bibleology, isn't it? You say, you got to read that one more time just so I can understand. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. In effect, what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. My ministry, which takes effort, my ministry, which takes time and energy, and I have traveled the world for, and I have endured shipwreck and starvation, and I have been imprisoned, and I've been persecuted, and I've been laughed at, and I have been beaten, and I've been ostracized by my family for, my mission is controlled by this mindset. I am looking to offer up the Gentiles, which was his mission, as an offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's using Old Testament sacrificial language, and he is saying the Gentile souls that will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that is my offering up to God. He was very much aware that he was serving the Lord and not people, and every church member desperately needs this. All of my labor, all of my efforts, all of my work, all of my giving, all of my witnessing, all of my counseling, all of the activity of the Christian life is for God. While the ministry certainly helps other people, our primary aim in ministry should not be to help others. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? The primary aim in ministry should not be to help others. It should be to serve and to worship the Lord God. We should want our service to be an offering that is acceptable to Him. We do it as an act of worship to God. Why? Because, and I'll put myself on an island here, because you can't be as bad as me. Here's what happens to us. We become so preoccupied with the programs that we are administering. We become so preoccupied with the energy that we are expelling, with the subject matter we teach, or the books that we read, classes, Books, lessons, activities, all of this that we're putting out there for people, we become so preoccupied with it and we forget that really what we're doing is we are worshiping God with all of our efforts. If we can consider that, we'll cease to be people pleasers. It can even help us process criticism. Now, if somebody's criticizing us and it's legitimate criticism, we take it. But if we're trying to do what God has told us to do, we can endure criticism differently because every 
everything that we're doing, we're not doing because people want us to do it, and we're not doing it ultimately or primarily so that they can be helped or happy with us. Everything that we're doing is, is a gift that we offer up to God because of his grace. That helps us to not be sedentary or apathetic or robotic in our service. In effect, who cares what people think if God is pleased? I love what one author said. I think it it helps me. This view makes even the most mundane daily occurrences holy things. We come together and we try to serve, and you try to speak a word of encouragement, or you try to enter in to prayer, or you come and you even get that wonderful assignment of working in the nursery, or helping in the junior church, or greeting at the front door, or working out in the parking lot on days that are brisk and dry like today, where you need a jacket out there, and you're so glad you're in a suit, and all you want to do is be in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, and maybe I'm only speaking for me. I don't have that freedom up here. Somebody made a rule about suits many, many years ago, and I've been abiding by it. Here's what we can think, right? All of this nobody sees and nobody knows, and I'm doing this small thing here. When our mind is set that everything that we do in service to the Lord is an offering of worship up to Him, even those mundane daily occurrences become holy things. But when we do them because we're desperate for somebody to notice us or we're trying to check some box that salves our conscience for busyness or we need some accolade or we we need some attention and the moment we don't get it or the moment that we're criticized, we lose the energy to expend effort in ministry. Our sights are set on the wrong target. The only way to remain wholehearted in our pursuit of holiness and our passion for the cause of Jesus Christ is to be reminded of the basic foundational truths of Scripture, the cross of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, over and over and over again. We must always connect the grace of God with our mission. The reason that we have purpose and the reason that we are serving where we are serving is because God has been gracious to us. And my mindset is this. I know that at times I will be misunderstood. And I know that at times my ministry will not receive accolade. But what matters is everything that I'm doing, I'm offering up to God. And my prayer is that sanctified by the Holy Spirit, it is an acceptable offering unto Him. It dictates my attitude And all of us need attitude adjustments. I teased a little bit at the beginning, and I say I teased a little bit at the beginning because I wasn't all teasing, but I think to myself, let's all be happy about how Connection Group started. Let's all be happy about having to park farther away. Let's all be happy about where we had to sit. And let's all be happy about when our class was, even if we're not really happy. Now, some of that is just me pleading and saying, look, please, please, please. Do you realize that we can go through life aggravated and ticked off at unnecessary things? You know, nobody paid attention. Nobody liked it. Nobody patted me on the back. Nobody saw me. I don't think that people are aware of everything that I actually do. If people could actually watch me for a day, maybe they would appreciate me for who I am and what I do. Or maybe they would never want to talk to you again. That would be like if you hung out with me for a day, that's how you'd feel. Why did I listen to this guy preach? Look at how he lives. When we go through life like that, we become robotic. I'll do it. 
because I got to do it. We become sedentary spiritually. I don't need to grow anymore. What new thing are you going to tell me, man? I've heard it all before. I've gotten over the fact that I was once lost in my trespasses and sins and on my way to an eternity in the torment of hell, but I was interrupted by the grace and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and translated into the kingdom of light and adopted into the family of God. And I've just been good for so long that I forget that I was actually at one point bad. The fact is, you're still bad. But Jesus, but grace, and the mission that you have, and the mission that I have, I'm not doing this because this is the only career path that was open and available to me. I am called to be a preacher because of the grace of God. And the mindset that I must develop is this, whether people are always pleased or content or happy or I'm receiving any accolade or praise or pat on the back or anybody sees it, this is my offering back because God is gracious to me. You become more wholehearted in your pursuit of holiness and in your passion for the cause of Christ when you take these reminders from the inside out. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.